the end of the service, and I think we have good reason to worship him. Amen? Amen. Amen. I'm going to dismiss the children right now. If uh, Evelyn and Tamika would come on up, they are, uh, right now, they are uh, subbing for Pastor Craig. Uh, Pastor Craig right now is a very bold man. He's on a retreat with a bunch of children, our children. Uh, they are sending pictures and having a great time, but they're going to come on up. If you have a child in here, if you're visiting for the very first time and you've checked them in, uh, they're going to take them to their own classes right now. Can we give these beautiful children a hand? Look at them. <laughs> Parents, feel free if you want to walk out with them just to get them situated and get them comfortable. Uh, that's totally fine. But uh, one of the things we believe is it's important for children uh, to experience communion, to see what communion means. And so our goal is that you'll be able to follow up with this as parents. You'll be able to kind of talk a little bit more detailed about what's going on in communion. On communion Sunday, we always has, have the children in here. So it can kind of engage a conversation um, with, with them as well. So follow up on that following the service so that uh, we can continually just share about what Jesus has done, not just for us in this world, but also for them as little children. Amen? Amen. I'm going to go over a couple of brief announcements, but I'm really hungry to get to the Word of God this morning. I'm really excited about the new series uh, that we're starting. I believe it's for many of us here um, this morning. And so I am going to kind of breeze over some announcements. I'm going to ask you to please be diligent in checking your bulletin. Always, always call the church office. You can email me personally or one of the staff members if you go, what the heck is going on? Um, uh, we'd be more than happy to call you, talk to you about different things. I know we have some changes that are coming up and some really key important dates. Uh, some of the ones that are kind of coming up really, really quick is our annual business meeting. Uh, we want to make mention of that is March 15th, 630 right here. Uh, that's a Wednesday night. What we are going to do is we're going to come in here and we are going to uh, just kind of let go. Uh, we're going to communicate the vision of what God's been putting on leadership's heart and things we've been working on. We're going to celebrate a lot of the ministries. We're going to confirm two new board members and appreciate uh, two great board members who stepped are stepping down after their term. Uh, and it's a night of kind of celebration. Uh, it's a night where we can plant the vision, kind of uh, give those of you who are members uh, the opportunity to... Um, uh, ask questions, even if there are some. Uh, we lay out our financial uh, situation here as the church and, and kind of uh, really uh, just expose everything that's going on in the life of the church. And so it's very important if you're a member. But even if you haven't taken the membership class and you say, man, I really am thinking of making Trinity my home church, it's a great night for you to come out, find out a little bit more detailed about <coughs> the vision God's put on our heart, <clears throat> uh, the things that he's uh, really pouring into us, and as leaders, the things that we're running after. Uh, so the business meeting is a wonderful time where we can come and just celebrate uh, Jesus and everything he's doing. Amen. Uh, a couple other announcements that are coming up. Many of you have heard this for a good bit of time, but we are showing the movie, uh, uh, Steve Borsalis's movie, Denounced, coming up. Uh, we had rented the place for him to, uh, at Valley Forge for him to show it there. It was a great response. A lot of people came and saw it. Uh, so I'm uh, online if you watch uh, Steve's getting great reviews from a lot of people uh, for a lot of hard work, and so we want to support him uh, in that endeavor as well. And so we are going to have a free showing here uh, March 19th. It'll be downstairs in Sanders Hall. Uh, we're going to uh, uh, just really support him. We do want to encourage you this. Uh, you know, Steve and I were talking this week, and uh, you know, I admire him so much because he's gone into places where uh, a lot of Christian uh, uh, production companies, directors, writers, they, they wouldn't dare go into. And so it is a graphic movie in the sense of it really uh, pulls out of the book of Revelation. And you can't read the book of Revelation and not go, okay, this could get kind of um, uh, very graphic here. And so we do want to throw that out there as a responsible uh, comment that <clears throat> uh, Stephen himself has suggested 15 and over is probably an appropriate age uh, for children to watch. But what I really want you to do is make sure that you invite some people over as well. Uh, you'll have a chance to probably purchase some DVDs and Blu-rays as well and to show it or share it as gifts. I want to encourage all of you to do that as well. So March 19th, uh, mark your calendar on that as well as uh, <clears throat> we, we have made a change. Those of you who've come out to our monthly dinners, um, we're so thankful you came out, man. It was so great. We averaged about 65 people, I think, came each week in the month of February, uh, one of the things we threw out there you should have received was a survey, just kind of asking people where are they at, uh, what do they think that they can commit to on a consistent basis. We were looking at maybe changing some of the midweek times as well. 
after hearing back from you, we had decided that we're going to go to monthly. That's pretty much what people had consistently said that they can commit to. They said, I can do monthly. Uh, so what we're going to do is change it from every week, um, uh, our dinners, to doing it once a month. We are going to do it on the first Wednesday of each month. So we're hoping that we see uh, increased numbers of people coming in uh, for fellowship, for building community as well. Uh, one of the reasons we also made the decision was it was very hard to ask people to cook in the middle of the week at that time. So we said we're going to kind of incur the cost. And the thing is, is you people are expensive to feed, okay? So we want to be good stewards. Uh, we want to be good stewards. We want to do it as a blessing. We want people who are new to our church to be able to say, come the first Wednesday of every month, sit with some of the staff, some of the members, and uh, continue uh, just that wonderful opportunity for us to uh, fellowship here together. Last but not least, of course, is um, our tag groups. Man, they're going off really, really great. I'm so proud of all of our uh, leaders and people who've joined a tag group. It's not too late for you to join a group. Some still haven't even launched. Uh, in your bulletin, you will see that there is uh, all of the dates and the names and the leaders. Contact them. Ask them, when are we meeting? What's going on? Um, I'm interested in your group. Uh, the information is in your bulletin. It's on the website. It's on our Facebook. It's on the board. You can't say that you didn't find the information. You didn't know what was going on. It's everywhere. Um, you just got to want to get involved. And so uh, we have men's group. We have women's groups. Uh, we have youth. Our meeting today following service. If you have a young person uh, and they're interested in getting plugged into the youth group, this is a great opportunity. They can stay right after. They're going to have lunch and do a teaching, but uh, these groups are to get people involved, to get uh, community moving, to get discipleship happening, but also uh, to make sure that we're just connecting to one another, doing this life together. So uh, thank you those leaders who've stepped up. Thank you those of you who've joined. Uh, there's many of the groups that are happening right here in church as well. You can get plugged in, into those, uh, uh, and we encourage you, if you have any questions, uh, just give us a call here at the church or send us an email. Uh, we're going to open in a word of prayer, but as we do, I want you to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 17. <clears throat> I'm going to open in a word of prayer as you turn there. Father, I thank you, Lord. God, I'm excited and I'm anticipating you're going to do something great this morning. Declare it, Father. You're here. Be honored, praised, and glorified. Let your word pierce the hearts of your people. I pray that, that, that it would saturate their hearts that a fire would either begin or continually flow in the hearts of your people, Father God. We love you. It's all about you right now, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen. Amen. How many of you like movies out there? Okay, a couple of you like movies. Good. Uh, I, 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 there are certain genres of movies. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reveal a little bit of something about myself. I, I, I love country western movies. Anybody like country western movies? Now, now, the reason I love them, I'll be honest with you, because I think I would have been a great cowboy. I'm serious. I would have been an awesome cowboy, like your man's man. I probably would have been a sheriff, right, trying to restore law and order. And I would probably take, like, because living in the South at that time would be awesome. I've lived in the South. I love the South. Um, I've lived in the North. I love the North. The Northeast, ah, eh, we're kind of, no, I'm just kidding. I like, I like everywhere God's taken us. And, but the South has this kind of peculiar style to it, right? And there's something about a true Southerner who's got a twang about him. And there's this show I'm watching, and it's all about the Union Pacific Railroad, right? I'm binge-watching, being, being um, established, and it has all sorts of drama in it. And one of the main characters, his name is Colin Bohannon, all right? And, and he is like your ultimate man's man. He's almost died 17 times in the, in the show, and he just keeps going. And his whole go, and it has like these faith elements in it, too, where he can't forgive himself, Right, for many things that he's done. He fought for the Confederate Army and all of these different things, and now he's trying to reestablish. And there's like this, I'm a real study um, of character in movies. I overanalyze movies. I overanalyze characters, all of these things. And he is such a fascinating study because he's done so much wrong in his life, and he's literally come out to priests at the time, and he said, I am beyond forgiveness. And there are people actually of faith trying to tell him, God can forgive you, and he's got this like crazy internal struggle. But the whole premise is, is he's feeling he can find value if he can be part of the Pacific Railroad being, being, being um, just made all the way across this country at that particular time. And he's a cowboy. He's your man's man. Boots, hat, everything, right? All, the, the whole shebang. He's been shot 750 times uh, and just still somehow makes it. 
But one of the things that they're coming up to in the middle of this series is this is as they're coming and they're doing this Pacific Railroad, they run into all of these mountains. And he's really the only person who kind of knows how to get them around this mountain, but then they come to this place where they've got to lay this railroad. And back in that day, they used to do it by hand, everything. And so they didn't have all the features that we have to build things and stuff. And what's fantastic is he looks and he says, there's only a way. They're building this railroad. They're reaching like, they're running out of money. They're running out of time. There's another company that wants to build this railroad for them. And he says, the only, uh, and wants to beat them kind of to the finish line. He looks at his boss and he says, how are we going to make up this time so we can finish this railroad on time or else they're going to take the whole thing from us and we're all going to lose money. We're all going to lose our jobs and some of us are even going to die. And in one particular episode, he looks, he goes, there's only one thing that can happen to make us do this. And with the beautiful, drawn-out southern twang, he goes, them mountains got to move. I love that, man, because he just looks into it and he walks away and he starts getting to work and he starts talking about blowing a hole through these mountains. And I think this morning here, I think some of you have walked out, you've walked into this place and there's a lot of mountains in your life. I want to declare in your life this morning for you, them mountains got to move. I want to do an exercise here this morning. Now, I know you didn't come here. You know, some of you are going, I did not come here to take a test, all right? I did not even come here to participate. I just came here to watch and leave, and then I'm done with this whole thing. You're going to participate with me this morning because I want to say some declarations in your life, some promises. I want to declare some promises that God has in your life, in my life, in our life as a church. And I want us to say this. I'm going to say something, and I want you to say, them mountains must move with all your heart. We're going to practice. Okay, ready? I'm going to count to three, and I want to hear you say it with your best southern accent, all right? One, two, three. That was terrible, but we'll just try it anyways, okay? Let's go through a couple things here, all right? We're going to go through a couple things, and this may resonate with you. I want to say for the financial mountains in my life, it's getting better, for the attacks against my marriage, for the rebellion in my children towards the gospel. For the obstacles controlling my family. For the bitterness in my heart. For the things interfering with my faith. We'll keep working on it, all right? Not too bad. But I want to tell you something. Listen. This morning, what my heart is, is that you would have the strength and the faith to look at the mountains, whatever it is in your life, and maybe I wasn't able to cover it because I could probably use 40 minutes to go on and on, that you would have the strength with all conviction and all power of the Holy Spirit to say, the mountains must move. The mountains got to move. And it really starts with us asking the question, what is our reaction to the incredible promises of God? What is our reaction when we see a promise in Scripture And we say, this is a promise of God. This is eternal. This is ongoing. Now, in our society, what's creeping into the church, I believe something that I like to call that there are many institutions, there are many people that they're kind of doctrinally dull, if you would. That they believe that the Bible is to be true, yes, but what they do is they hold a doctrinal position that regulates miraculous manifestations, these things that God's doing to just specific times and periods in history. That the miracles that Jesus performed were for that time. The miracles the disciples performed, well, that was for that time. They call them cessationists. But I choose to embrace, but when I read my Bible, I choose to embrace the promises of Scripture for daily living. That it wasn't just for them. That they weren't allowed to just move mountains. But God still gives me the power of His Holy Spirit that He promised to send as a helper for me to move them mountains. Amen? And so you and I have to come to this understanding that there are several scriptures that talk about it, none more uh, relevant than Matthew 17 and Mark 11. I want you to write that down somewhere in your Bible. I want you to mark it on your phone or whatever. Your homework, somebody's saying to themselves, I came here to participate and homework. I'm never coming back again. Your homework for this week is to look up and read Matthew chapter 7 and Mark chapter 11. Because these are two separate occasions that the Lord uh, declared something incredible. That mountain moving power was available to those who exercised faith. Those who exercised faith 
Matthew 17, Mark chapter 11. Matthew 17, Mark chapter 11. I want you to read those this week. And I want you to allow the Word of God to saturate. Because one thing that's important is to understand is this. It's important to know that promise is for you and I today. Amen? It's important for us to you and I to know that today. And it's really important for you and I to understand this. These are two separate accounts. That if something happens in the Bible, and it happens just one time, that we can come and we can say it's in our Word of God. It is holy and reliable. It's holy and reliable. But when God chooses to present a story multiple times for two different uh, uh, multiple settings in multiple areas by multiple authors, that there is a huge significance of this promise for believers. It's a huge significance because God found it important to mention it twice in his book. Because he wanted you and I to tap into this power. He's promised us this supernatural power. The supernatural power to Christ followers that this would be mountain-moving power. You have the ability to move that mountain because God's miracle-working power, it's not just limited to salvation. It's not just limited to I'm going to just stamp my ticket into heaven, but God's desire is to manifest His power, His glory, His forgiveness, His joy, His peace in awe and through, not just in, but in and through our lives on a daily basis. Someone say amen. On a daily basis and to understand this mountain moving faith that you and I can possess, we have to carefully consider Jesus' teachings. And I want to look at several things this morning in the next several minutes. But one of the things that's very important to look at is what the Bible takes us through is physical versus spiritual dimensions, mindsets. The mind that we have, and one of the first observations that must be made is to understand that Jesus is using physical illustrations in Scripture at times to, communi- to communicate spiritual truths. He's using things that we can understand to reveal a deeper spiritual understanding in what God can do. In Mark chapter 11, verse 22 through 25, it says this, and Jesus answered them, have faith in God. He says, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. So we see a bunch of different things in this scripture here, right? We see that first we're called to believe. We see the importance to have faith. We see the importance that says every time probably we come into prayer, we should make sure that we are asking God for forgiveness, that we're repenting in our hearts so that our prayers would be heard and that we would be forgiven as we forgive others. But the specific content of Mark 11, in the very beginning, what it does is it includes Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem and he's driving afterwards out money changers out of the temple. It's when Jesus takes the whip and gets really mad and flips a bunch of tables because there's injustice being done in the temple. And he quotes the powerful quote. He says, my house shall be called the house of what? Prayer. It's going to be really important in this sermon coming down in the, in, in the end of it. But my house shall be a house of prayer. But the incredible promise that comes to you and I through this of moving, of moving mountains, it really comes in the context of onus on us. There's things we really need to focus on. Number one is this purity in prayer. Taking notes, I want you to write that down. Jesus, what he does is he declares these promises and he reveals the spiritual nature of the kingdom of God. He's using physical analogies to reveal the spiritual nature. And throughout his earthly ministry, what happened, it's important to note, is that the Lord Jesus, what he did was he encountered many, many people who wanted to make him a political leader. Many people who wanted to make him a military leader, but he reminded them that his kingdom is not of this world. He says this in John 18, 36, my kingdom is not of this world. See, I told you, he said that. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not of this world. Folks, we have to recognize the spiritual reality of unseen principles. There's spiritual realities and unseen principles that what they do 
is they govern the kingdom of God. We talked about this last week, the kingdom of God. What is it? How does it come through us? But what this does, it does not imply that we should ignore physical or, or, or um, uh, um, material threats to our, our faith. It's not saying that. But Christians, at their very best, they're spiritually minded. Amen? You might say to yourself, well, what's spiritual? If you're a Christian, all things are spiritual. All things are spiritual. All things have a spiritual element to it, but a failure to appreciate. See, a failure to appreciate unseen forces, the things that you and I can't see that are affecting our lives, what it does is it prevents us from utilizing the faith and the power of God. If we don't make our lives spiritual, if we don't understand, the Scripture tells us that we're aliens. We're just traveling through this world. This is not our destination. This is not the place that we are just going to call home, but home is in heaven. If we don't understand that to a certain degree, then guess what? We can't work in the supernatural. We can't work in the power of prayer. And the Apostle Paul, what he did was he exhorted the saints to follow his example. He says in 2 Corinthians 4.18, we fix our eyes on what is unseen because what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So we are about the business as Christians of not what we see, but really what we do not see. We are in the business of eternity, amen? We're in the business of eternity. And so you look and you go, well, this is really hard to comprehend, right? Like how do we, and that's really been the call of man is getting to the place where they're comfortable in things that they necessarily can't see. But when we do a unique study, listen to me, when you do a unique study, there's a lot of things that we have a lot of faith in that we do not see, amen? There's a tons of things that we don't see that have nothing to do uh, uh, with necessarily our faith per se, but we do put faith in it and we walk in it. The earth travels around on its own axis at 1,000 miles an hour and around the sun at 67,000 miles per hour. We don't see that happening, but we know we kind of exist in it, right? We zoom through the galaxy at an astonishing speed of 481,000 miles per hour. Our daily experience of material existence, it makes us feel like we're standing still. But these are the realities that we know science tells us that are happening around us. And we understand that concepts like anger, fear, and love are real, even though they're not necessarily physical packages that can be wrapped or put under a Christmas tree. We know them to be real. And Jesus used terminology of moving mountains to do one thing, is to elevate our perception. To elevate our perception above our, our mere mortal thoughts, our finite limits of time and space, and to call upon an infinite God. Because you and I know this, we serve a God who is infinite, who is all-powerful to release what? The supernatural power in our lives talking about spirit-filled power this morning. I'm talking to my Pentecostal friends in spirit-filled power, knowing that miracles still happen. And so we ask ourselves, because we talk sometimes in these vague generalities, right? Where we say, well, we're Pentecostal. And a lot of people I meet with, they go, I don't have a clue what that means. I don't know what that means, spirit-filled living. Because people always ask me, what kind of church do you go to? And I go down the list, right? The symbol is God church. Oh, what does that mean? Well, it's a Pentecostal church. Still have no clue what you're talking about. Spirit-filled church. You've lost me. I'm leaving this conversation. You go, wait, wait, wait. Let me try to explain this to you. And so how do we get to become these spirit-filled living people that say, man, I walk not in my flesh. I not walk not according to just what I see. But you and I advance our faith by saying, I want to be a spirit-filled Christian that's walking continually in the Spirit. There are things that you and I can do that get us more and more in the Spirit. I've told you before, there's times where I take away, I don't want to be near anyone. I just want to be audience of one. There are times uh, this year, my, my big thing has been just sitting quiet before the Lord. No music, no distractions, no anything. Just me and God. Not a single person. I'm probably not going to answer your phone call or emails at that time. Just me and God. But something that's very important when I get in my prayer time, that I think is very essential, is the verbalization of faith. You know what I'm saying? The verbalization. The things that come out of our mouth. And the characteristic of mountain-moving faith, the things that will move those mountains, is, is the spoken expression of believing. It's powerful to hear your own words speak words of faith. If you've never done it before, start with this. Here's a practical thing. Get alone, a place that you're comfortable with. 
And I want you to do this. I want you to just read the Bible out loud. If you don't know where to start, start in something that's written in red. It's a good place to start. If you don't know, get to the Psalms or go to the Proverbs. And what you do is there is something powerful. Now, we can read it and we can digest it and we can understand it and we can even apply it. But I want to tell you, something happens in the spiritual realm. When we're talking about wanting to move mountains, when we're talking about we have fallen in our own sin and we don't know how to pull ourselves up, that we get to that Scripture like I alluded to earlier and we go, we read that Scripture in, in the book of Malachi that says God's arm is not too short to save. That gives me hope. That increases my faith. That takes me to another level in the Spirit. And in these mountain-moving passages that we're looking at this morning, Jesus emphasized the practice of speaking faith into action. That we look at that mountain and we say, you will be moved. And we're commanded to say to that mountain that it will be moved. That's what Jesus had said in that Scripture. And this concept of speaking faith has been ignored it's sometimes ignored by segments of Christianity, to be honest with you. That, well, we don't speak it, we just pray it, we believe it. And so what we go to is, well, it's just the heart of the matter, because what we're afraid of is we're afraid of looking silly. We're afraid of looking crazy. We're afraid of looking nuts. I had a doctor's appointment this last week, and I was talking to them about some certain things that I was kind of going through and stuff, and I said, listen, I told my doctor this. I said, I'm just here to make sure that um, you give me the clean bill of health, then I know what to do. And he goes, what do you mean you know what to do? I said, well, I know what I need to do. And the doctor said, well, here's the problem is sometimes people don't realize that sometimes, you know, um, uh, they have a hard time coming together with logic. So they don't put the understanding of like they work a stressful job and they have a lot of demands or this is the place that they're at in their life or they're unhealthy and they don't exercise and all these things. So the logical output is really, no, it understands why you're feeling this way. People can't comprehend that. And I said, oh, I said, doctor, I can go a step further than you. And he said, well, what do you mean? I said, your job is to tell me that my heart is still beating, that the blood looks good, that everything is fine, because I believe what I am experiencing is a spiritual attack. And when you tell me everything's good, you sign that paper, I know what I need to do, doctor. I need to go away with the Lord and pray against what the enemy wants to attack me. My doctor literally looked at me and he went, okay, so... Because I'm going to speak against that thing that wants to come against me. And I'm going to tell all who will hear that this thing is not going to get me down. This thing will not stop me from that very, uh, very thing. But what we're scared of is we're scared of looking silly, aren't we? Well, they might think we're one of those wacko Christians, one of those crazy charismatic people who run up and down the hall during services and lick the walls and howl at the moon and all of these things. Right? Those are, the, those are the people who take off their coats and they throw them and the whole place falls down and all of this silliness that just kind of happens that you won't find really in the Bible. But see, listen, what we cannot do is we cannot, listen to me very carefully, we cannot sacrifice, sacrifice our faith in the power of the Holy Spirit because some people have maybe not represented it appropriately. We can't back off of that. There's still power in the name of Jesus. God still wants to heal. God still wants to move. And I tell you this, He still wants to move mountains. I used to tell young people this when we would have these prayer nights and kids would just fall out, man, in the Spirit and they would just be so overwhelmed by God and they'd go, now what do we do? I said, listen, never feel like you have to apologize for what God is moving. You never feel like you have to apologize for a genuine move of God. You let God, God doesn't need us to come to His rescue. He comes to our rescue. There's power in that. When we look at speaking things of faith, it's not an isolated antidote that Jesus gives us. When God prescribed His very formula, and even in the Old Testament, He gave it as a formula of success for Joshua. In Joshua 1.8, do not let the book of law depart from where? Your mouth. Now you and I would go, well, everything's about the heart, right? Everything's about the heart. But God puts some pretty emphasis on this. Do not let the book of the law depart from your mouth. <clears throat> Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. What is he trying to say here? That the Word of God should always be on the tip of our tongue. And the promises of God to whatever mountain is in your life should always be the first Response. Why? Because we consume the Word of God so that we can speak the Word of God. 
We don't just consume the Word of God to digest it for ourselves, but we look at the promises that we are more than overcomers. We look at the promises that, 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 that He will walk with us. We look at the promises of moving mountains and we read them. We read them, we digest them, and then we speak them. We consume this Word of God so that we can speak the Word of God to that mountain in your life. Amen? Not just to hold on to it. And you might go, well, I don't understand. That's not who I am. I think you're wrong about that. If you think I'm wrong, good. If you look in the book of Numbers, chapter 20. Now, you and I, and maybe you don't know this, but there was a man named Moses, and Moses was promised to lead his people to the promised land who had been captive by slaves for many, many years. And his task was to lead them to the promised land. And if you know the story of Moses, you know that Moses, at the very, very end of the day, that he didn't lead the people into the promised land. Joshua, who we just read about, he led the people into the promised land. But some of us, you'd be surprised to know, well, why didn't Moses get to do it? I mean, why was Moses' lot in life to walk in a giant circle for 40 years? Some of you can't go 40 seconds trying to find a parking spot at Giant. I want you to consider 40 years in one giant circle only to hear you're not going to see the promised land and still walk in obedience of that. And many of us go like, well, what the heck did Moses do? Well, Moses did a lot. He did a lot of good for God. Moses was a man of God. But there was one thing that ultimately reveals the character of God's heart that God said no. And I'll explain to you in a moment. And, and, and if you want to read it on your own, it's Numbers chapter, chapter 20. But God gets angry with Moses and Aaron because he tells them to do one thing. Mer, uh, Moses and Aaron, the people had run out of water and Moses had come to God because God had been so faithful to Moses to always provide. And God gives them a commandment. He says, this is what I want you to do. He says, I want you to go to this rock. And he says at this, and he says in verse, uh, 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 verse 8, in chapter 20, he says, take the staff, assemble the congregation, you and Aaron, your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. Very simple commandments, right? Moses had seen so many great miracles of God. And God just says, listen, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go to the rock, tell the rock, give me some water. And watch, I'm going to take care of business. If you go down further, it says this in verse 11. It says, and Moses lifted his hand and he struck the rock with his staff. Now, what did God tell him to do? What did he do? Ah, and sometimes we struggle with unanswered prayers. Sometimes all God wants to do, the correlation of this story is this. God rebukes Moses. God rebukes Moses, and what it does is it illustrates many priorities. Priorities are number one, obedience. Anything, any mountain that comes into your life, the first response should be, God, what is my call to obedience? Listen to me, listen to me. Not how, what do I do to fix this? God, what is my call to obedience? Because that's ultimately what I want to do. You hear me today? What am I called to do? If you're called to just pray, then you pray. But you know God's called you to pray. If you're called to action, then you move. Because you know you're called to action. But what you don't do, and this is where God got really, really ticked off at Moses. Moses stole God's glory. You hear me? And God shares His glory with no man, Scripture tells us. He stole it. He said, I want you to go and speak to this rock because then people will know I've given you this power to do it. But Moses does what you and I still struggle. We don't just come and we don't just, maybe God will call you to just speak to that mountain. Mountain be moved. This is what God's calling me to do. You've got to move because you're bringing stress in my life. You're doing all of these things. And I believe Scripture shows us through many great men and women of God that there are sometimes God does just call us to say, just speak to that thing. Jesus said it. Speak to that thing. God said it. Just speak to that thing. What we do is we overcomplicate it. We take our own sticks and we just beat everything around us hoping we can find an answer. Partial obedience is not obedience. Partial obedience is disobedience in the eyes of God. And so it's important for us to, to understand the significance of verbalizing our faith. We say, Mount, you move. We confess the promises of God over our lives, over that mountain. Now, confession is funny, right? Confession is a very, very funny thing. How many of you guys grew up Catholic? I grew up Catholic. I was altar boy, rang the bell, did the incense the whole nine yards, right? 
And it's funny because um, in, in our area, we're, we're a highly Catholic area. My son, actually, uh, he experiences this week where um, he starts telling people in school, they ask, what do you want to be? Because I want to be a pastor. And they go, you want to be a priest? <laughs> and he goes, no, I want to be a pastor like my dad. And one of his friends goes, so you, your dad's a priest? And my son goes, I don't think so. <laughs> and my son goes, because he's never really, I don't think he's ever been in a Catholic church. So he looks and he goes, well, well what's a priest? And, and, and this, this is no knock on Catholicism, but this is just to kind of show the mindset of my son. Is my son goes, well, what does a priest do? And one of his friends goes, well, a priest is someone you tell your sins to. And my son goes, and I said, what did you say when she said that? She goes, Dad, I looked at him and I go, well, that's stupid. I tell God. And I went, well, <laughs> slow it down there, John the Baptist, all right? Bring it down here a notch. Like, take it easy, Martin Luther, all right? We're not jumping the gun here. Like, you may want to work on the softness. He goes, well, Dad, like, am I supposed to tell you all of my sins? I go, yes, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely, every single one. It's what the Word of God says. That's how we work. I am your priest, son. This is what we do. But some of us, listen, we have this weird connotation about confession. We see it as only bad, right? It's only bad. And when we hear the term confess, we usually think it's just confessing sin, right? Which is very important. Confession, listen, confession is important. I tell my children when we talk about prayer, I say probably 85% of my life is repentance, to be honest with you. It's just, God, forgive me, even if it's just for missing you. God, if you whispered something, I just busy myself. I missed it. God, forgive me. God, forgive me if I've hurt anyone. God, forgive me if I've missed a sign, a symbol. God, just forgive me. I have a healthy, healthy prayer, and I think a strong, mature Christian has a healthy life of repentance. But you know what confession also does? Confession also strengthens our faith. It strengthens our faith. In, in, our faith. in Romans 10, 9 through 10, it talks about this. If you confess with your mouth, what? That Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart God raised Him from the dead, you'll be saved. Right? It doesn't say that we go and give and do all these things. It just says this. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Believe, confess, believe. Confess, believe. And we look at confession as just a bad thing. But confession strengthens our faith. It says this. For with your heart you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth you are confessed or saved. Confession is good for the soul. It's good for the soul. And we speak confessions to things. We speak confessions of faith that tells us this, that we speak to the mountain that we desire not to move ourselves, but that we desire God to move. That we come to this place of saying, God, I know I can't move it. And it's a dynamic principle that is seen in Jesus' ministry when He delivered people from demonic strongholds. When Jesus spoke directly to the demon, He spoke right at him. He didn't come and sock the person in the face or he didn't even lay hands in some instances. He spoke, he said, get out, and he called them directly by name. He called them by name when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. He calls Lazarus by name. He says, Lazarus, come forth. And many of you have heard the, the, the wonderful pastoral joke. It says he called him by name because if he would have just said, come forth, thousands and thousands of people would have came out of their graves just not knowing. And so he had to be completely specific because that's the power that Jesus had. But I love the story of a Roman centurion. Many of you may not know this, but the Bible says this, that a Roman centurion amazed at Jesus by his faith. He amazed him by his faith. Why? Why? Because by his faith, this military commander had come and he understood the power of spoken authority, of confessing the power of Jesus in that situation. The centurion comes to him and he says, my servant is dead, please. And he does not request though for Jesus to visit the home. Rather, what he believed was that Jesus could speak. He looks at him and he says, you don't have to come to my house, Jesus. You don't have to see him. All I know is by what I've seen, you just, you just speak the word and he's going to be healed. You, you just say the word and he will rise up. And the Bible says that Jesus was amazed. He was amazed that the Roman soldier understood what most of Israel had missed. 
What most of students of the Old Testament and the Scripture had missed, that the power of Jesus can rely on what we speak life to things, that we speak the confession and the truths of the gospel to whatever situation you have come. And the reason I love this story of the Roman centurion is because he amazed Jesus. How many of you can say that your faith at one time in your life has amazed Jesus? That Jesus looked down from heaven and go, wow, I'm impressed. <laughs> But he did this here. He did this. And what happens to you and I is this is sometimes, let's just be honest for a second. And, and this is me just being transparent. Sometimes we speak these generic prayers that have no power behind them. Truly in our heart, we're not attacking a mountain. We'd get hung up over a molehill. We would not be able to move a single thing. Because we're not believing. We're, not, we're rebuking in laziness. We're praying in kind of a fear we're praying with really not a huge expectation, not a belief. Because what we don't have is we don't have a sustained dedication to it. We pray once, we get frustrated, we give up. We stop. We say, no, God, please move in this area of my life. No, He didn't move. This will just have to live with this. But we don't grab the power of the Holy Spirit, the power that God gives, that power to move mountain. In Matthew 17, He says, if you have a tiny bit of faith, God can use your little faith. God uses that little faith to accomplish great things. And we look at that and we go, well, what does that mean? So I just have to have a little bit of faith? That's We're missing the point if that's what we're saying. We're missing the point because what we're looking, we're missing is we're missing the fact that the mustard seed, what it does is it illustrates powerful potential. A powerful potential, not just small size, the goal is not to just have mustard seed faith. The goal is to understand simply what mustard seed faith can do in our lives. Amen? And what we do is we either focus on, oh, I just got to reach this much and then God will move that mountain. Or we go, man, if I get this much, he's going to move the mountain. If I get this much, he's going to move the whole world. But the truth is, is we look at it and we think, oh, we just have to have a small sign. No, it's about focusing on the potential of what a little bit of faith can bring into our lives. Not measured by let's that, that, let that be the goal. If we think of it this way, a small amount of anthrax can produce incredible devastations. A small amount of faith can produce a ton of life in our lives. But we're continually to move. So mustard faith, it's seed, uh, mustard seed faith, it possesses the power to transform our lives. The power to move those mountains. But there's characteristics of the mustard seed that have to be applied to our faith. And many of us have heard sermons on mustard seed faith. And I hope to kind of unload in the next couple minutes before we enter into worship a few things that will be powerful in your spirit that you'll take. And number one is this, is through my studies what I've learned is this is mustard seed. What it does is it illustrates limitation. Now all of us don't like the word, use the word limits and God in the same sentence and it might seem contradictory. But the point is this, is that mustard seeds... By Jesus using this physical analogy, what it does is it produces mustard trees or plants or so on and so forth. Mustard seeds do not produce apples. They don't produce oranges. They don't produce pineapples. They don't produce anything except a mustard plant or mustard tree. And Jesus taught that the Word of God is like a seed. Amen? In Matthew 13, He teaches that the Word of God is like a seed. And when He's using mustard seed faith, it's powerful, but the power is limited to producing those things consistent. What is it limited to? So we're saying that faith is limited to. Yes, in a sense it is. You know what it's limited to? Biblical revelation. It's limited to what the Bible says. This is not a text. Sometimes it grieves me when people use the text of mustard seed faith as this name it and claim it. I want this and I want that and I'm going to claim all of these wonderful things. But the truth of the matter, and this is an uncomfortable truth in our Christian faith, is this. A lot of us are praying for things that God has no intention of giving to us because they're not supposed to be any part of our lives. We don't like that. Oh, it was all good until he brought that up. The sermon was great. He just ruined it. Truth of the matter is there's limits. God's power is limited. We don't like to hear that. God's power is limited. You know what it's limited to? It's limited to sacred, holy, pure, spotless desires. 
biblical desires. This foolishness of praying for a bigger house and money cometh to me and all of that stuff. Just a bunch of foolishness that has entered the church. Focusing on the material things when we are called to be heavenly minded. And the truth is, is some of us have bought and locked stock to a bunch of foolish theology that's taking us way off the track of biblical uh, uh, convictions, biblical accountability. That God's greatest desire is to bless me right now. No, God's greatest desire is to accomplish His glory through our lives. And guess what? For the Christian, that should be enough in life. And so when we're praying for these, these selfish, self-loving delights, these things that are just for us, then we say, well, God can't do that because it might not be part of God's plan for your life. And it's contradictory to those things. We need to pray prayers that reflect God's heart, not our own desires. You hear me, church? When we look at that mountain and we go, God, whatever you want to do with that mountain, do it. Move it. Destroy it. If it sits there, be with me and let it sit there until I can understand why it's sitting there. But your will, not my will. The most important thing is not the mountain to move, really. The most important thing is for the faith to increase that God can move that mountain at any point. It's where peace comes from. Mustard seeds, what it also does, though, is it represents and it illustrates expectation. When a mustard seed is planted, you expect to see a plant or tree emerge. And even though you can't see the seed making this transformation, you expect the process to work. The writer of Hebrews, he defined faith as the conviction of things not seen and the assurance of things hoped for. And Jesus said this, when you ask, believe, believe as though you've already received it. Believe as though you've already received it. Do you expect God to answer your prayers? See, the thing is, is when we go through this and we say, okay, God, it has to be limited. My prayers have to be limited to what God wants, what he wants to accomplish this. So now I figure that out. I know this is what God wants to accomplish. Now I'm going to pray that God moves in this way. I'm going to believe he's going to move in this way because I've done the job to spend time with him in prayer, in worship, and studying his word to see what is a part of him. And so now I'm going to expect. But the thing that I think we get tri tripped up on when it comes to moving mountains is this. We're not dedicated to the task. Dedication, mustard seeds, it requires dedication. God might not answer you one day, one hour, one year, ten years, five years. There are many great stories in this church that I love to hear when people go, you know what, for 10, 15, 20, 30 years, we believed, we believed, and guess what? In our lifetime, we saw, we saw God come. It was dedication. They prayed for that miracle. They prayed that God would move. They prayed that it would do. But the truth is, is we don't all get to experience that. I like to get to hard truths at a certain point. And when God puts something on my heart, I have to be mature enough to know this. He's put this on my heart to pray for, but the truth of the matter is, is I might not see it in my lifetime because I'm just a small, small part of this giant script that God has called life. My job is to pray. I might not see that. And I'm not saying, listen, I am not saying that all things, all bad things that happen in life are a result of a lack of faith. What I'm saying is, is get comfortable to the dedicated task. That we're going to pray until we see this thing through. An honest evaluation of American Christianity it really concludes that a sustained, intense prayer is kind of an endangered discipline in the church. We kind of come to pray, but we don't. We're most likely to find in most churches today fancy uh, TVs and lights and all of these things to draw people to the heart of God as opposed to really getting to the thing that really uh, grabs people and transforms life, which is prayer, which is worship, which is discipleship, all of these things. What we've done in American Christianity is we have resulted in trying to find the best-selling Christian book to solve all of our problems as opposed to coming to the feet of Jesus. And we lock, stock, and barrel, and we repost on Facebook every great quote that we can see because this pastor who I don't know and doesn't know anything about me has found my recipe for success. And so, yippee, it's wonderful, but you didn't spend one minute in the presence of God to find out the answer. You were too busy to pray, so we allowed this pastor, this best-selling author, to do the work for us. Let the TV evangelist figure it out for me. I didn't figure it out for me because I'm just too busy. 
Let me find a church that has exactly it is saying the right things that I need to hear the way I want to hear them, how I want to hear them all the time. Because if I sit here and listen to too much truth, it makes me uncomfortable. And the church up the street will more than welcome me and tell me everything and tickle my ears. Be be wary. One scripture says this, be wary of smiling preachers. They might not lead you off a path. The most important time you'll spend is you alone in the presence of God, being dedicated to the task, hearing those things, and being part of a fellowship that will go, they're going to tell me like it is. They're going to bring me the whole gospel. They're going to tell me that there's a heaven. They're going to tell me that there's a hell. They're going to say that God's power is limited to things that are only holy and righteous and are a part of His cause. That there is sin and repentance and all of these things. And that's okay. And there's a place that I can go that will say, look, I will be dependent upon God for His power. Ian Bounds, one of my favorite authors, he said this, about the church to return to Christ-honoring prayer. That the church, He says this, the church is looking for better methods. The church is looking for better methods. God is looking for better men. God is looking for better men. This vital, urgent truth is one, of, uh, is one that this age of machinery is apt to forget. The forgetting of it is as de- detrimental to the Word of God as removing the sun from its sphere. He goes on to say this, darkness, confusion, and death can ensure ensue. What the church needs is not better machinery, not new organizations, or more novel methods. She needs men, and I would say women, who the Holy Spirit can use. Men and women of prayer. Men mighty in prayer. The Holy Spirit does not come on machinery, but on men and women. He does not anoint plans, but men. Men of prayer. And so we pray one time and we go, well, he's not answering it. I don't get God. I get God. When we make a half-hearted commitment, guess what? We can't expect a full-hearted answer. We came not believing, not in faith. We came out of duty. We didn't come in this presence. You've got a mountain to move. It's time to commit to prayer. It's time to speak life to that thing. It's time to become comfortable with saying dedication. It's time to say I need to examine my heart before I pray these things to really truly find out is this what God has for me? Is this the thorn in my flesh for this season right now? And I'm going to be content with it because my God is sovereign to walk with me through it and I'll declare those decrees that He promised. One of the last things He promised was to never leave me, forsake me. And if I don't have any answer in this world, I have that answer and I'm fine. Good. Take the job, take the money, take the car, take all of these different things, but you know what? I'm good. Never forsake me. He'll never leave me. Let me call the worship team on up right now. And if the ushers would prepare for our time of offering here at church, what we do is our church, we've been doing this as a discipline. As we ask you to give as part of your worship. And if God's touched your heart this morning, in a moment we're going to open up these altars and what I'm going to challenge you, if you have a mountain in your life, you need to spend some time with the Lord. You need to worship God this morning. You spent some time in His presence just saying, God, received. But this is part of your spiritual worship and giving as well. Giving unto the Lord for all that He has done. All that He does for you. He sang it earlier. He's a good God. He's a great God. He's mighty and powerful. Your prayer of the offering, I'm going to share with you one more story. Father, thank you for every person that gives. God, I thank you that your work would be done, your word would be shared, people would get saved, and you would be glorified. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. How do we get to spirit?